it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cryo Malt, this is Beer as a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly, and here we try and make sense of what is happening and better understand the issues shaping the industry. Beer is in a really interesting place right now. If you look at the early generation of craft brewers, many were inspired by travels through Europe, especially Belgium. Later, it was Hop Forward beers that inspired brewers and beer drinkers alike. Hop Forward gradually morphed into Hop Driven, and we saw an IBU arms race. More recently, hops have met haze, and we have seen a race to be the cloudiest, most fruit-punchy beers on the market. Another notable trend has been the rise of what are termed sour beers, which also became a race to be the most mouth-puckering or wildest combination of flavours. It's all good fun and great for headlines and for attention and also for interest in the beer sector. But at risk of prematurely earning an OK Boomer from you, I was a beer drinker whose palate was shaped by the classic beers of Belgium and whose touchstones in sour beers were beers such as Rodenbach and Orval. To me, these beers are still amongst the greats that show how good beer can be. That's all a very long way of introducing my chat with Ben Spokes' Richard Watkins. At the best of times, Richard is a brewer whose thoughts about beer in the industry I enjoy listening to. But when he's talking about making barrel-aged Flanders Reds, I'm completely engaged. To the extent that this conversation started out as a quick 10-minute chat about his release of phlegm in cans that I intended to insert into this week's Brews News Week. But, well, it went on for a little longer than that, so it became a full beer as a conversation. Enjoy it. I did. Richard Watkins, thank you for joining us. G'day, Matt. Thanks for having me. Mate, tell us a little bit about the beer that you've released. It's a, a bit of a lockdown beer. Um, phlegm. Yeah, look, phlegm, um, um, really interesting beer style. Um, Flanders Red. So... You know, it's a beer that's um, not commonly brewed with many breweries because it does use bacteria and does use um, uh, wild yeast, and they're not things that brewery, a lot of breweries like to have playing around in their in their breweries. Sort of started to get interested in these beer styles because the Canberra has a really great amateur brewing club, Canberra Brewers, and and we I was part of that when I was back brewing at the Wigan Pan, and we used to sponsor the trophy there called Beer of Show, and that was brewing the, the best beer in the in the ACT amateur brewing competition each year. And one of the years, um, Flanders Red won that award, uh, brewed by um, Craig Weber, who um, actually known Craig now for a long time. And um, so it was really good to have a go at brewing that back then, and that really started in some way getting into barrel ageing and sour beer production whilst I was at the Wigan Pen, and we set up a little f- facility down below the the Wigan Panda House and barrels and play around with that sort of stuff. And that's sort of the start of where Flem came from. It, it's funny that you say it's a, it, like it's a, not a common style because we have seen something of a, you know, flowering of sour beers, you know, 
beers in that sort of loose style descriptor of, of sour, but Flanders Red is a, is a very different beer to those, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, it is. Um, the main differences, I think, with Flanders Red and a lot of the sours we're seeing now are the ageing process and that the, the Bretomyces or the wild yeast that provides a lot of the character to the Flanders Red style does really need that, that time. It really does need to go through um, sort of the two hot summers um, to really, you know, get that depth of flavour into the beer. Um, and I think a lot of the sours we have been seeing have been more, you know, Gozers or Berliner Weisses and some of those types of sours where they're really sort of heavy on the lactobacillus bacteria. You know, they're great beers. I mean, we Ben Spoke makes a couple of those as well, and they're, they're, they're different types of sours to a, to a Flanders Red. There's just a difference in the complexity of them, isn't it? They, they, I wouldn't say they were one-dimensional, but they, they certainly don't have that layering of complexity that a good Flanders Red has. That's right. I, I definitely agree with that. The, the, yeah, the complexity that, that um, comes in a Flanders Red from the different malts as well as the wild yeast and the, and the different bacteria is, you know, it's really up there in terms of the most complex beers. But then there's also the blending that takes place in a Flanders Red um, that, that I believe you guys uh, carry through uh, to, to Flem as well. That's right, and and that's really important because it's great to have this beer that you've aged away, um, but to get the best out of that that beer, it's it's really good to actually blend that with some fresh beer, and that fresh beer really does lift those you know aged characters, complex characters, and integrate them better you know in the beer. I, I had the privilege of speaking uh, with Rudy Hakia from Rodenbach, which uh, is, is one of the beers that you refer to in inspiring a beer like this. And he was, you know, Rodenbach was available in cans. You've just released uh, the, the, the Bent Spoke Fleming cans. What are the challenges of putting a beer like this in, into cans? I know that you know, Rudy was quite open in saying that he was willing to uh, pasteurise his because uh, he, he didn't think it affected the beer. And if you wanted to enjoy a beer as widely as they want theirs, he, he enjoyed he saw it as an as part of his toolbox. Um, do you guys have that same sort of challenge? Have you uh, gone through the pasteurising process to get it into cans? No, we haven't actually. Um, we decided not to to do that for for two reasons. Um, one, I think, with such a limited release like this beer, it's you know not going to be sitting around for too long. And two, we actually don't have any facilities to pasteurise. Really, I do think the pasteurising of the beer does affect it somewhat i think it does dull down some of that complex and real natural aromas that come um in the beer i think the beers you know it's very well attenuated so it's unlikely that you know there'll be any re-fermentation or anything in the can and we have allowed a little bit for that as well i mean it is a risk not not pasteurizing but um if we didn't take a risk we wouldn't have a a, a beer style like, like this in the can <laughs> yeah. But it, it it is just like it, it it's one of my favourite styles. So I'm I'm really looking forward to the uh, to the courier getting here with uh, with, with my samples. Uh, <laughs> uh, bloody COVID nineteen, it's uh, slowed down all of the uh, courier deliveries. But you know, it, it, a lot of beers can lay claim to being the red wines or the you know the the, the wines of the beer world. But I find this style of beer um, just has that complexity and that layering but at the same time nothing completely overpowering so it's a really nice uh flavor profile to work well with food yes absolutely yeah now i think um you know especially in these times when everyone's enjoying beers at home and potentially um doing a little bit more cooking than people may be used to 
I think um, using a beer like phlegm, it's, it's quite um, you know flexible in, in, in how you can match it to food, but also use it in the cooking of food as well. It, it's funny. When uh, you know, I think back to 20 years ago when I first started writing about beer and the things that excited me in the sort of period leading up to that was you know, I, I'd cut my teeth on Belgian beers and I'd discovered Michael Jackson's books and, you know, a, a lot of the Belgian beers were the ones that were held up as being the beers that were going to change people's perceptions of beer because there was an elegance to them. They belonged on a white tablecloth. You, you can obviously drink it out of a can if you want to, but then they just lend themselves to food and dining and glassware and those sorts of things. That That's what I thought was going to really come to dominate the craft beer movement but we've instead seen you know the huge progression of hops and the the, the arms race with hops and some of the novelty that's come into beer do, do, do you think that the you know beer world misses out a little bit on beers like this not having the the, the focus such that you know a, a beer like this being released by ben spoke is actually really really newsworthy yeah i, I guess you're right i think the real vocal sort of beer community does really get into and, and like their hops. So anything to do with hops generally does get a, a lot of airplay and also becomes quite popular by the consumer. Um, and I guess a beer like a Flanders Red is a bit of a risk for, for breweries to do. And that's probably why, you know, we, we only see very limited releases of this sort of style. But I think one thing I have noticed, and you probably have noticed as well, is that as the craft beer um, community, especially in Australia, is growing, and that you know the space on supermarket shelves is getting more competitive, you are seeing a lot more breweries have a go at making different beer styles. And I, I would have thought, you know, was happening sort of five years ago. I think in the last five years, I've really noticed breweries really having a much wider um, set of styles in their beers than than before i'm not sure if you've noticed that but i think that's really good for for the consumer and i think we'll see what what we'll see happen is that this hop phase will still be there but what we'll see is um, a lot of other beer beer styles potentially getting a bit of bit of airplay as well and and maybe override some of this hop phase as well I have seen that to an extent, but then I've also seen that as soon as one brewery gets a, a competitive advantage for actually doing something different, you see a lot of other people doing the same different thing. Um, and and, and, and you know, if something's successful, the shells suddenly uh, fill up with a very similar um, style. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think you're probably referring to some of the hazies and stuff like that, um, but they're also linked in with the hops as well, I suppose. So, But I think... Um, well, I'd love to see it happen. I'd love to see a massive revival of, say, lagers and Belgian-style beers and the consumer really getting into those. But I think that's something that's just going to take a lot of time, if, if at all, to create that sort of um, interest. The consumer at the moment is still in the hop phase. And so anything, anything that comes out with, you know, lots of hops in it is always going to create, you know, some noise, but it's also going to, you know, go very well um, for a brewery in terms of um, production. So I think we've just got to keep having a go, Matt. I think we've just got to um, look at balancing. I mean, we, you know, Ben spoke, we, we do make a lot of hoppy beers, but we do try and find time to make other beers that, that I like and that I think um, deserve, the consumer deserves to, to try our, our rendition of. Well, the, the other thing that it comes to for me is um, 
I'm not a rabid environmentalist or you know campaigner, but you know I, I think that with beer, beer is a product that is best consumed you know locally as locally as, as you can get it. And with um, slightly esoteric beers like Flem that not every brewery in the country is making, you know they're, they're buying from around the country. Um, you know you you get the ones, but you know I'd prefer to drink Australian beers that haven't been shipped halfway around the world, both for their quality and also for the for for the food miles. But we haven't seen many breweries turning their hands to, to these Belgian styles, and they are one of the few examples that I do, you know, pick up as imports. But uh, it, it's exciting that, you know, we do get Australian breweries starting to turn their hands to, to this style. Do you think it could become a regular range item for you? Look, I'd love it to become a regular range item, but the problem we, we have is that the investment required to make it a, um, a regular range item is is something we just have to be cautious about um, because trying to release or keep a beer like this in the market 12 months of the year is going to require an immense um, facility with you know oak storage whether it's the you know oak barrels or you know the, the, the larger fooders I guess we set up a brewery to we need limited space I mean, all, all the breweries have all have limited space and so when you're trying to set up a facility to hold beer for over 12 months it's requires a lot of space um, and hence a lot of you know a lot of capital to do so i'd love to do it and, and we we definitely are increasing our our barrel storage i want to get to a point where it where it, we can release a lot of uh, barrel aged beers more regularly and and that would then allow us to to have something in the market on, on a much more regular basis and and then potentially justify us investing in you know, another site or extending the site we've got or whatever the option is to be able to, you know, more regularly release and pack this type of beer. But it, it, it would require quite a big investment. I mean, you know, I, I don't know I don't know if there is really anyone in Australia doing it at the moment. Is there really on a regular basis? I mean, Wildflower absolutely probably do it, you know, the best job of anyone on these type of beers. Um, but they're not. They, I, I don't believe. I, I might be wrong here. So, but I don't believe they have a facility big enough to be able to release beer, you know, nationally weekly. Mm. Let, let's talk a little bit about that. How much does? You know, what's the the, the price premium for a, a can of Flem over you know one of your other core range beers? Yeah. Look, we had a fair bit of discussion about that amongst the team and. We sort of decided that we would not go too hard with it in terms of price. We could have. We probably, being a limited release and being a unique style, we probably could have gone a lot harder. We wanted to make it reasonably accessible for people as well so that we actually do um, make sure that we, you know, get the beer into people's hands and not have it sit on shelves. So we sort of put it in our in our middle bracket of of beer pricing like we haven't got it as um you know in the price bracket of say the barley griffin or the crankshaft we sort of moved it into the sprocket and the red nut sort of territory um we could have easily probably put it in the cluster eight sort of category or the descent that we did last year but we i thought we thought about it and thought well we actually want this beer we actually really want people to to enjoy it because beer even though the beer is 12 months old and some of it two years old once it is packaged it, it is going to 
you know, it is going to deteriorate over time, like any beer that you put once you package it. So mm. we do want we do want people to to drink this beer, you know, as as I guess freshly packaged as they can. Um, and I just also wanted to just make sure that we further to the, what we were just talking about previously was that if we can prove that the demand is there for beers like this on a more regular basis, then I'm pretty keen to, to get into it and release beers on a more regular basis because it's fun. <laughs> it, you, you raise an interesting point because you're talking about a beer that it's a blend of three beers. It's, um, you know, aged for up to 12 months in oak. You know, there, there's a lot of just... I mean, for, for want of a better term, dead cost of just having a beer sitting in you know, a square meterage of your brewery. Meanwhile, the, the, the taxi meter's ticking on it, but then it's trying to justify that cost premium to to an ultimate consumer and trying to explain why that is uh, is the case. Is, I mean, is, is that a challenge for a brewer to, to sort of explain where some of the cost goes for these beers? Oh, absolutely. I mean... You know, you it's it, you, you're sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you if you don't say anything, people exp- people whinge that the beer is too expensive before they really understand a lot about the beer. Um, if you you know if you if you rattle off you know put a big blurb on the side of a your packaging telling people why it's so expensive, then you you sort of called a bit of a whinger, I suppose. So, <laughs> you know, I hope people appreciate the the effort that's gone into making it. And the risk that's gone into making a, a Flanders red style beer and and you know, when they are seeing it on the supermarket shelf and the price, that they take that into account. I mean, I think we've been fairly, you know, fairly generous in some ways for you know, for, for this type of beer, having it at sort of, you know, around the, the sprocket sort of pricing, considering, you know, what what has gone into it. But I'm sure some people will um will still uh want to have a go at us. If you're making a golden ale a lot of brewers are making and then also is starting to nudge into the space that the big brewers with their scale uh, are making as well. Consumers are going to be a little bit more aware of price, but if you're making something fairly unique like this, I would have thought you have a little bit more leeway to to explain where that, that cost is in the same way as, you know, like a, a really well-made aged um, cheddar. Um, people are just going to be willing to pay more than a supermarket kilo block cheddar um, from Bega, for example. Yeah, that's right, and that is the case. Look, we have certainly explained to our retailers and and put some information out there about the beer and you know and and what's gone into making it. So um, I'm hoping that people will have a go at it, take it on their beer journey, and and you know it won't be everyone's cup of tea, um, but it's um, you know it's it's as I said, it's fun making these beers that you really actually have to put quite a bit of effort into um, and a bit of thought into as well. It's not easy just to make a beer, fill up a few barrels, sit it in the corner for a couple of years, roll out the barrels and open them up and, hey, presto, you know, here's this wonderful beer. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of um, thought that goes into every step of that whole process. And each, each step in that process has then many different, you know, little checkpoints and, and individual processes laid underneath that, that adds it's whilst the beer itself is quite complex in flavour, it's it's a quite a complex um, production process to get that beer from, you know, grain to grain to glass or grain to can. 
You and Brad Rogers are great mates and have both been brewing uh, for, for, for a long time. Brad brought uh, a, a similar style to market just before Christmas last year. Did you spend a lot of time talking about your, your various approaches to making the beer? Yeah, funny you say that. Like, um, I, I remember pretty clearly, um, to be honest, back in the day, and this was, um, we're about, I think we're talking about 2004, 2005, maybe six. So I'm not clear on the year, but I'm pretty clear on the, on what was happening. And that was that at the same time, pretty well around Australia, I think between myself, Brad Rogers and Brendan Varis, we all started doing barrel-aged beers at the same time. Brad was, Brad was then at Matilda Bay, um, brewing out of um, the brewery there that was um, in, in Dandenong there. And um, he, he was playing around with a few different beers and barrels and Brendan in the West obviously was playing around with beers and barrels for me at his brew pub and, and we and I I just started doing it at the Wigan Pen. So I think I don't think there was anyone else doing any sour beers or had started making sour beers in Australia before then. Certainly not in the in the years sort of I guess from sort of nineteen ninety forwards. Maybe before that there was a there were people doing barrel-aged beer simply for the need to have a vessel to put beer in, but trying to imitate some of the, the, the beers around the world that were sour beers. I think that was the top, that you know the three of us together sort of potentially started that in Australia. I'm I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm I'm reasonably confident that that is the case. So yeah, Brad and I have sort of you know chat every so often and catch up as much as we can um, through the year and. The conversation always turns to, you know, turns to the fun stuff, and that is talking about aging beer in barrels and and um, some of the, you know, we've been really lucky in terms of some of the great trips that we've been on to some of these places around the world, and and when you experience, you, you experience the beer at its source, it's and then you have a go at it yourself. It's you know, it's it's really. Um, it is really eye-opening, um, and it really does keep you on your toes, I guess. So, yeah. So Brad and Brendan are, are part of that, you know, sort of part of that sour beer story, I think, in Australia. I could almost sense that you were uh, calling to mind some of the places you've had these beers in when you were giving that answer. There was you, you, there was a faraway note in your voice as you were thinking about some of those places. Do you think there are any places in Australia that, um, you know? brew pubs and we talk about the experience of sitting in them that you know match those experiences that you were thinking of i like to think that that some of those some of the places that you're we, we're talking about are ones that have you know sort of earned the right over time to to, to go into this category um and i don't think even though that there's some really good new breweries around australia i don't think they're the places that i'm thinking of um, even though they may well be one of those places once they age a little bit more. Um, but I think I think um, the Lord Nelson certainly in Sydney was well ahead of its time and I think we should, um, you know, pay a bit of, pay a bit of respect there. Um, and, and that's one of those places where you can go in, you can sit down, have one of the original beers that they still, you know, still making those same, same some of the same beers since they started. The brewery's right there. You sort of get the, you know, the smell that there's been a few people come through the doors over the years and a few pints been had in that place. I, I think that's certainly one of those places. I mean, just, to, you know, not far away either. You've got 
you know, you've got the Han Brewery as well. And that was, or the, the Malt Shovel Brewery was, used to be called the Han Brewery. But, um, I mean, that's that's obviously owned by the bigger guys now, but that still has the original brew house in there. And there's a lot of history tied up in that. And, and you know, Chuck Hahn, back in the day when he was running his own company, was well ahead of the time trying to get that off the ground. And pioneers like that, that's what, you know, that's what started this whole um, industry that we're in. I, I guess you probably, you probably over in the West, I suppose Little Creatures certainly changed or did a lot for the beer industry. I'm not sure whether that's old enough to be in this sort of place. Uh, probably, you know, probably have to throw in Feral Brewhouse as well. Um, in the Swan Valley? Yeah, in the Swan Valley. I think that's somewhere where most people go and, it, you know, the expectation is pretty high and that expectation is always delivered on as well. I think Brendan's, you know, certainly partially responsible for, you know, the flourishing industry that we have now. I mean, I, I, I suppose Coopers as well. Like people sort of think of Coopers as being, I mean, it is family-owned business. Um, it's independent. It's just big because it's, it's, it's done, you know, done things well. It's stuck to what it knows best. Has adapted with change, I suppose, because things have changed. Coopers over the years but but you know the, the whole philosophy really hasn't changed and it's still a fraction of the size of uh, sierra nevada for example no one would argue that sierra nevada wasn't craft that's right exactly so i i, I sort of I, I guess you know i haven't been involved in making the rules for the iba but in some ways it is disappointing that coopers aren't part of it in some ways but i understand potentially why not and so i suppose they're the sort of breweries that i'm thinking of in australia um, i might have missed some there and Ben spoke, obviously. <laughs> well, I, I, I have no doubt you aspire to to being one of those places. Oh, I definitely would like to. We're certainly not there yet. I think we need that little bit of age and a little bit more history behind us. I mean, I probably, being a little bit biased, probably would have said the Wigan Pen in its day had potentially earned to be part of that that group. And we certainly used to have a lot of people coming to that pub that were coming to Canberra to come to the Wigan Pen rather than coming to Canberra and just stumbled upon the Wigan Pen. Mm. The other thing I, I picked up on that you sort of came back to a couple of times was that um, phlegm is a fun beer to make. Why? What is it about this style of beer or the process involved in it that you know, makes you uh, dwell on how fun it is to make? Well, I think um, I think it's just because it, it is the complexity in the process. I mean, I, I mean, all beers are quite hard to make. Let's let's not make, say that any beer is really easy to make. To make beer, to make good quality beer consistently. Is quite hard, um, but to make a beer that you actually want to just sit in the corner for twelve months, two years, and know that you're going to get something out of it um, that's going to be, you know, really complex and interesting and and something really different um, certainly adds a little bit of, you know, you can get up in the morning and come to work knowing you're going to rack. 10,000 litres of, you know, a sour red ale out of a barrel that's been sitting in the corner with a big mould layer built up on top of it, you know, like it's, um, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty easy to get up in the morning and come to work if you know you're going to be doing that, especially if you're, you know, a lover of beer and a lover of, um, you know, all beer, all beers or all beer styles. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to come to work and add 200 kilos of hops to a dry hop as well. <laughs> you know, it, it is something different. It's not like we, we do 
we do this all the time. Um, we we generally only playing around with barrels three times a year at the moment. So, um, if you know, we I certainly look forward to us doing anything with barrels because we're only doing it on a really short amount of time each each year. So, um, and and then you know, it really does take you back into the history of beer and some of the traditions that have been formed because of making making of these beers. So I think it's um think that adds to the you know the the fun part of it sometimes um when i know people who love cooking you know they, they love cooking at home and they, they they have this idea that they'd love to own a restaurant and they just don't realize that there's a difference between spending hours creating a menu for eight friends um once and knocking out a hundred covers of exactly the same dish all perfectly cooked all presented the same way um every night um and to, to some extent that's what day-to-day brewing is i'd imagine that you know it, it, it's not showing this radical artistry on every batch it's getting every batch the same as the last yeah that's right that's right that's exactly right if you know if we try and release this beer again next year it's very unlikely that it'll be exactly the same again it'll be similar but i think that's part of this type of beer is that that it will you know it will change um, each time you make it because there's so many variables and factors that go into it it, is that what makes it special that it is? Uh, you know, whereas if you were making, you know, um, you know, uh, barley griffin, if 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 I pick up a can from this batch, I want it to be the same as the last batch. Whereas this one, you get to be a little bit more of an artist. But then at the same time, the consumer's expectations aren't that it's going to taste exactly the same. It's that they're willing to embrace the experience. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, I'd love to get to the point where we're releasing a Flanders Red every year, and there's, um, you know, there is some sort of certainty in the flavour profile. Um, whilst it may not be exactly the same, there's certainly certainty and it, it, you know, it is very similar, but I guess that's what comes with having a facility like Rodenbach where you're producing that beer all the time. Um, I mean, I'd love, hopefully love to get to that point at some stage in Ben Spokes history where we are producing these beers all the time and that there is certainty for the consumer when they go to the shelf and buy um, phlegm that, that it will be the same as what they had last time. Um, but I think at the moment, you know what we've we've got, and that is that we we only have facilities to produce this on a really sort of limited basis. Now, I, I guess the the last question is: you did say it was limited release. How much is available, and uh, how widely has it travelled? Yeah, look, it is going to be released Australia wide. We did do a thousand cartons of it, eight hundred and ninety cartons or something, I think it is. So we'll be getting it out to as many places as we can. We haven't sort of stockpiled it in Canberra and going to just keep it here. We definitely want to try and get it um, out to as many supporters and of Ben Spoke as we can around Australia. Um, so we have proportioned it up and, and sent, it, sent it off around Australia. So that's a, that's a good thing. We haven't been able to do that with a lot of our limited releases because we just haven't had the beer. Um, and I think, you know, if a barrel holds 200 litres and you've done 10,000 litres of a beer, that sort of gives you some idea of how much how many barrels you need to have. And if we, we suddenly started to sell this amount of beer every week or every fortnight, you can start to see how many barrels or how much storage you actually need to be able to do this on an ongoing basis. It's, um, it becomes a, you know, a massive undertaking and obviously investment. Do you think we'll see demand? Well, I, I guess you haven't done this enough to, to really have a, a, a ruler against demand, but do, do you think we'll see a time when this style of beer could have that demand in Australia? 
I'd love to see that. And and that's one of the reasons for doing it, you know, is to try and get this these type of styles out there for consumers to have a go at. And if consumers keep buying them, we'll keep making them. And that and that means that we'll have to look at how we can make them more often because that's what the consumer demand will be. So, I mean, we've got to start somewhere. And I think, you know, we've started by getting this beer style more readily available, you know, locally brewed in Australia. So I think that's the start. Um, hopefully, like some of those other styles we talked about, other breweries have a go at doing those, which they are. It's not, you know, there's plenty of breweries um, making and releasing different beers. I just think if we all start to do this a bit more often, the consumer then gets into a bit more of a routine of, of buying these types of beers more readily and then the demand's there. And once you have the demand, then you can look at um, how to service the demand and setting up, you know, a new facility, ex- extending an existing facility you know, what all the options are. Now, before I let you go, the, the one question that I, I, I should ask is you did mention that once it's packaged, it's sort of not going to age terribly well. Or it, it's, it's not going to, you know, it it's needs to really be consumed. Are, are you saying that this isn't one that we should um, sell or, or add to our cellar and, and, and try year in, year out? Oh, look, I think it'll be really interesting to do that. But I, I also, we're also into sort of uncharted territory um, um, in terms of, how this type of beer will age in a can. So we haven't done this before, Matt, so um, I'm not actually sure how it will age in a can. It may well get better. Um, but I, my gut feeling is that I would prefer people to have a go at it sooner than later um, because I think the packaging of a product where you put it into a, you know, a can or a bottle, we're not actually conditioning it in the can. So the, a lot of the bottle conditioning does actually make the beer better, and a lot of a lot of the beers that are actually bottle conditioned are, you know, certainly improved with age. We're not actually can conditioning this, so the, the idea isn't to can condition it um, and to to sit it around for time and then in, you know and then open it up in sort of a, half a year or six months time or something and 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 see the improvement in it. The idea is that we've got the beer right. We've been aging it ourselves in our in our barrels and in our tanks, and and we feel like we've got the blend right. We've packaged that blend, and I think it'd be you know be be best drunk fresh. But I'll be certainly storing some. I'll be really interested to see how it's um, gone even after a month in the can, and maybe what it's like um, this time next year as well. Because going forward, if we are going to do a lot more of this stuff, we need to start learning about how it does age in the can. Well, I'll certainly be putting one or two cans away to, to, to try later and hopefully uh, do a side-by-side tasting with the, the next iteration of it. Yeah, that'd be great. That's I think that's what we'll probably try and do as well. Terrific. Oh, Richard Watkins, thank you very much uh, for, for telling us. It, it's ended up being a lot about uh, phlegm, but uh, all of it is fascinating and I, I can't wait to try uh, the samples that have just turned up as well. Yeah, thanks uh, really, um, Matt, for having me on the show and... Um, you know, I always love talking about beer, especially um, beer styles like Flanders Reds. And that was Richard Watkins. If you haven't already, seek out some phlegm. <laughs> it, it sounds odd saying that out loud, but it is sublime. Also, have a listen or a re-listen to our conversation with Rodenbach's head brewer, Rudy Hakia from last year. It was another very insightful delving into the world of Belgian beers. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, 
Cry Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this Beer is a Conversation. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show.